Good morning. Thanks, worship team. Appreciate you guys. Um, This morning, we're ending our series on fake news. um, And this morning, we're talking about the church. And uh, we're going to dive into this morning, um, this conversation and common misconception in our culture that you can love Jesus, that you can love Jesus and have nothing to do with the church. You can love Jesus and you can have nothing to do with the church. And I have to admit, it's a little bit weird um, talking about this this morning um, in church, right? Because you're here. (laughs) And so this morning, I want to just take some time to remind us of um, why we do what we do, but even more importantly, to remember what God says he wants to do in and through this gathered up group of people he has called the church. So let's pray together this morning. God, for the truth of your love that we just sang about, we ask that you would just ground us in that this morning. As we open up your word and we hear what it has to say to us, God, would you just work in the depths of our hearts and allow us to see new things that um, maybe we just haven't been willing to see before. God, for the beauty of your church, but also the reality that we are broken people and have much to live into, would we be up for the challenge? We love you and we thank you for the truth of who you are and that truth that still rings in our ears today. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, Well, as I was listening to a few teachers this week talk about the topic of the church and I was wrestling with so many of my own ideas and stories and experiences and trying to figure out where do I even begin with such a big topic, I heard one guy say, Talking about people's feelings about church is kind of like being a mosquito in a nudist colony. You just don't know where to start. I love that. I love that. Um, But the reality is, um, I have always been a church girl. Um, In fact, for a long time, whenever I would share my story of faith, um, I'd start by saying that in my growing up years, every time the church doors were open, we, meaning my family, um, we were there. And now I know this wasn't true, but it felt true in my life. Church was a place of friendship. Church was a place of serving others. Church was a place where we were known. Church was a place where we knew where all the keys to all the doors were as much as the adults tried to hide them. Church was a place where um, we worshiped together, where I saw people come and sing songs after the death of a spouse or after the loss of a job, and I loved it. And I did all of the church girl things. I listened to Christian music. I went to all the concerts with my youth group. In high school, my very best friend who was more sold out to Jesus, which is what we called it, um, and I, we memorized the entire book of James together. Friends, that's how cool I was. (laughs) And newsflash, like this kind of skill does not get you invited to a lot of parties. Um, But I had a lot of friends, and so it wasn't something I felt like I was even missing. Um, And for a long time, I was so bummed out because I felt like, frankly, this story is just a little bit boring. Um, It felt boring to me. But over time, I've become to be able to more adequately identify my story, not as boring, but as evidence of God's grace in my life. Because friends, in so many ways, I was able to experience at a young age and different places the very best of the church. But here's the other thing. 
I often equated with being a good Christian as going to church, as being in a building. And this isn't new, right? Because we all the time look at external realities and we take guesses about what's going on on the inside. And I didn't know any different. So then I went off to college and I went to a Christian liberal arts university and I thought this will be great because it'll be like church all the time. Again, like I was so cool. And I remember like for the first few Sundays, a lot of people would go to church and there were vans that would pick people up or we'd jump in the friend's car. But over time, people would say things like, I'm just gonna go to Bedside Baptist this morning. Or I'm gonna get my sermon from Pastor Pillow or Reverend Sheets. Like I didn't even know that there were all these slang words for what it meant to just sleep in and not go to church. And these were my people. And now they're not doing the things I think they're supposed to be doing. And I know that my like judgmental attitude was coming out sideways and in all sorts of ways. Add to that the fact that the way I'm wired, and I know so many of you are as well, I'm a learner and I'm curious and I wanna know all the things. And so I thought going to a Christian college, I'm just gonna get all the answers, right? I'm gonna bring all my big questions, I'm gonna go and get all the answers. I started wrestling with some pretty big questions about my faith, and guess what? I had more questions. And so not only now was I questioning my community, but I was questioning my faith. And those questions felt big, and they felt life-altering. And then here's the kicker. I felt called to ministry. And friends, I tried not to do it. I tried, I tried all sorts of things. My uncle, get this, my uncle, who is a pastor out in Colorado, he wrote me a letter after I registered for seminary trying to convince me not to do it. Just recently, while I was on sabbatical, I found that letter again and I called him up and I said, Uncle Mike, why did you write this letter? And he said, well, I felt like you were wired for it, but if I could convince you to do, not do it, you shouldn't do it to, to start with. He said, because I knew the road would be hard, and I love you. And friends, my call to ministry is a really crazy long story, but the reality is, for the life of a female pastor in the church, it is not always easy. And to be honest, it has been painful, and sometimes people are straight up mean, and oftentimes just incredibly disappointing as I live into my calling. And so as we talk about this topic of the church this morning and our love for Jesus, my commitment to the church is one that I've had to make over and over and over again, sometimes even when I don't feel like it. And the reality is we could go around this room and we could share stories of the ways that maybe we have been disappointed by the church, where we have been hurt by the church, or even in more rare cases where abuses have occurred. And friends, honestly, these stories, they break my heart. These stories, they just wreck me. I mean, no wonder. No wonder that so many are saying that they love Jesus, that they are drawn to Jesus, but they don't really care about being in the church. No wonder that so many experience Gandhi's favorite quote to resonate with their own experience when he said, I love your church, but I dislike your Christianity. Yet in spite of all of its flaws, friends, the church is God's plan A, and get this, there is no plan B. 
Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, God has a high commitment level to his church. He is so for the church that he said there is no power on earth or force of darkness that can overcome it. But sometimes I feel like it's kind of trendy to just leave the church. Why do I have to go to church when I can maybe meet God out on a hike? I can meet God in a book club or out in my boat, right? And while I think that we can meet God in those spaces, and I often have, I wonder if we take those moments in those spaces to welcome and to worship the God that meets us. I find that there is something so beautiful about this messy, consistent, kind of misfit group of people called the church. Pastor and author Lillian Daniel says this, anyone can find God alone on a picturesque mountaintop, the hiking trail or a sunset. The miracle is that I can find God in the company of other people who are just as annoying as I am. Right? And so I want to just share a few encouraging words from the book of Ephesians. A few encouraging words, and I hope you're ready for a little bit of a challenge. From Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. And so if you want to grab your Bibles or open up your phone, I encourage you to look at the passage this morning, because just for a few minutes, we're going to dive in. And I want to just take a look at the end of what Paul is writing here first. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 19. Here's what Paul's writing. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. It rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Friends, in these verses, what Paul is doing is he's giving us a couple images of how to talk about the church, how to get our minds wrapped around what the church really is. And the first image is that of being a citizen. Look at that verse again. He says, you are fellow citizens with God's people. This means that you have an earthly citizen. Maybe you're a citizen of Roseville, you're a citizen of U.S., or maybe even another country. You have an earthly citizenship. But if you are a Christian, you have a citizenship that supersedes that. Philippians 3.20 says that we are citizens of heaven. The second image that he gives us here is that of a household, which is another word for just saying family. We're a part of the family. When we become a Christian, we are adopted. In other words, we have become part of a family where God is just not now our king or our boss, but he becomes our father. And because of this, we have a whole new family of sometimes crazy brothers and sisters, right? And this last image he gives us is one of a building. Verse 21 says, in him, this whole building is joined together and it rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord. In this image, we are like building blocks with Jesus as the chief cornerstone coming together to be the very place where the Holy Spirit is able to dwell. 
And here's what I want you to notice about these three images. These pictures that were given, notice this increasing level of intensity and relationality that were given. And Timothy Keller paints this picture so beautiful, beautifully in saying, a king lives in the same country as his citizens, right? But a father, a father lives in the same house with his sons and daughters. But then in this building imagery, he comes right into you. He dwells within you. It's not like he lives near you. He lives in you. I want to give you an example. Two weeks ago, the team from our church that is leaving to serve in Colombia at the end of this month, we went to a Spanish-speaking church called La Benedicción. And uh, that church meets at uh, Redeemer Covenant Church in Brooklyn Center. And it's led by um, a couple, Juan and Martha Lopez, and the picture of the team and Juan and Martha are up there. Um, Martha is in the bright pink shirt, and Juan is in uh, his very pastoral suit coat. Um, and uh, I'm sitting around the table. We've spent some time worshiping with this community and being a part of their time together. And then afterwards, we were going to meet with them and just talk about Columbia and learn some more about their experience um, in this country that we as a church have just grown to love. And I'm sitting around this table, and I'm looking at the team, and I'm looking at Juan and Martha, and here's the thing. I see people who are so different from one another. I mean, friends, we don't share the same language, They kept turning to their 20-year-old son saying, what's this word? We don't share the same food preferences. We don't share the same generation. They are older than I am. I don't share the same experience of growing up in a war-torn country. Friends, I have no reason based on who I am to be in the same room with them. But friends, our conversation flowed. And people on the team were able to share their lives and about their families. Like we were long lost brothers and sisters. And here's what I want you to hear. It's because we were. It's because we were. And I'm not gonna stand here and say that the church has always done this well. I'm just saying within the context of the local church, we have the capacity and the resource because of Jesus Christ for that kind of supernatural community to form. And this kind of supernatural community happens in so many different places. I look at what we do on Wednesday nights as we partner with our friends from the Naomi family residence. And as this group of women sit together and meet together and so many different walks of life are represented. There's socioeconomic difference, there's ethnic difference, education difference, and here's the thing. Everything about our world right now says it would just be easier for us to just stay in our own lane. And we're told not only will this make your life easier, but it's kind of what we expect of you. And I stand back in this room and I watch these relationships play out. People that have been told, maybe not openly, but in their own spaces, you know, don't don't expect too much. And they're talking to each other and they're joking around and they're encouraging each other like their family. And it's because they are. Friends, I just need to say one more thing before we move on. There is nothing in these three images about just showing up to a building and getting our needs met. 
There's nothing in these images about the relationships being delegated to paid staff and everyone just falls into line. Because there's a quality that comes in our relationships. There's a familiarity that grows in our relationships that can only happen through the consistent engagement in one another's lives. It just can't happen any other way. This passage also recognizes the fact that while God created us to experience this incredible intimacy with God and with each other, there is an issue that has gotten in the way of this happening. Have you ever been in relationship with someone and you know that something's off and they come to you and they're like, we need to talk? Uh, Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. Maybe you've been on the giving end of that. You know something's coming and, and Paul is right there. Um, Paul, the writer of Ephesians, talks about this sickness that has invaded the church. And it's a sickness that we've all experienced in different ways and we've all perpetuated in different ways. And it's mentioned a couple of times, and I just want you to look at Ephesians 2, and it's in verse 14. It says this, For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. What's the barrier? The dividing wall of hostility. And then this word, it comes up again in verse 15 and 16. It says this, his purpose, again, Jesus' purpose on earth was to create in himself, in his body, one new humanity out of the two, right? So what was broken, he is now bringing back together, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which, hear these words, by which he put to death their hostility. So clearly, in these two verses, hostility is something that does not belong in the heart of God. It does not mark his church. And hostility, it's often translated as enmity, or to maybe put more bluntly, as hate. Paul is writing that there exists an issue of hostility in our hearts. It keeps us from experiencing unity in the church, friends that keeps us from living in the community of the church, it doesn't allow peace to define who we are. There is in our human hearts a hostility, and it's the barrier that keeps us from being able to relate with people who are different than us. Specifically, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is referring to two different groups of people, and he's talking about this barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so many of you know they have a very windy, difficult road of conflict with one another. And we see this identified in verse 11. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you were who are Gentiles by birth. You were called uncircumcised. So there's the Gentiles. And then you were called uncircumcised by those who are the Jews and those were the circumcised. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ. This is not a pretty picture Paul paints separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. This isn't a good picture. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And how does this happen? These two very different groups of people, friends, in our cultural context, don't you want to know this? 
How do different people become reconciled to one another? It says, for he himself is our peace. Who has made the two one, who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Why? How did he do this? By setting aside in his flesh the law. The law with its commands and regulations. Now, I don't want to get too in the weeds with this, but here's what you need to know. Paul isn't saying the law is bad. The law is good. The law is something that can point us towards God, but something has happened. The Christians, their relationship, the Jewish people with the law has changed. You'll remember when God was giving the Jewish people the law, he would give them the law and then he'd say over and over and over again, why am I giving you the law? I'm giving you this so that you will be a light to the Gentiles. This is your job. He says, I want you to take this law and be a light to the Gentiles. I want you to live in this way so that they will be attracted to your kind of life and what has happened. Clearly the Jews, they're not using the law to be a light, but instead they despise the Gentiles. They looked at them and they labeled them as unclean and profane and the Jews thought they could do this because they had the law. And the Gentiles despised the Jews and there was this dividing wall of hostility between them. The law, which was originally meant as something to be good and helpful and a way for humans to flourish and experience God became a wall that divided. And friends, it happens in our church all the time. And oftentimes, friends, it's the good thing about us that becomes a wall. It's the good things about us, just like God gave his people the law. It's the good things about each of us that can become a barrier, and here's how it happens. We can so over-identify with the very good things that makes us who we are. We over-identify with these things instead of remembering our citizenship is in heaven. I recently, just a couple weeks ago, connected with, uh, in conversation with some high school friends. Um, my um, band director from high school was retiring and uh, I got in conversation with them and they're like, all we remember about you is that you are the flute player, right? Um, I love you guys are getting such a cool picture of my childhood in this sermon. Like you were, you were the flute player. Like I was the band geek who was just like Chicago Symphony Orchestra, here I come, here we go. I just, all the time, that was like who I was, Right. And that's so not a part of my life right now. It was so weird to be in this conversation with them because that's not like even on my radar screen, much to my parents' chagrin. And the danger is we get so wrapped up in connecting with these things on an identity level, even these positive things, we forget there is something that is so much bigger and so much more real and true about who we are. So, for example, we start to over-identify with our ability, for example, to be on time for things. Right? It's pretty simple. It starts out pretty simple. We just like to show up on time for things. But then over time, we start looking at other people who aren't showing up on time, and we can start forming a perception about them. Maybe we think they're lazy. Or maybe we just think, you know, you must not care about what's going on. Or even on a deeper level, maybe you don't care about me. Maybe you just can't get your act together, right? Like, 
Whatever it may be, this is such a simple example, friends, but let me tell you, when it comes to some of our ethnic differences in our culture, this becomes huge because it shapes our perceptions about people and our ability to know them and listen to them and relate and engage with one another. And it's so easy to look at this example of the Jews and the Gentiles and think, I would never do that. But it happens all the time. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes this, people are not proud of being rich, they're proud of being richer than the next person. People are not proud of being beautiful or smart or talented, they're only proud of being more talented than the next person. Friends, we over-identify with stuff and it impacts our relationships, it becomes a dividing wall between us. And it's the job of the church as we move to the communion table this morning, it is the job of the church to be agents of peace and reconciliation in our world, not just because it's trendy, but it is the heart of the gospel. And frankly, we don't get a pass just because we feel like we haven't been overtly mean to anyone lately. Because here's the thing, friends, as we look at scripture, both Jews and the Gentiles needed to be reconciled. It wasn't just like one of those groups needed to be fixed and the other one would just fall into line. They both needed to be reconciled to God. One because they needed the gospel, the other because they needed to repent of their religiosity. They both had a deeper need to be met. Verse 16 says, Christ's body, he reconciled both of these groups to God. In Christ we have the incredible resource of Jesus and the unbelievable capacity through our relationships to do the work of the gospel. We must, friends, do the real work of discipleship, not just by studying the Bible, but then actually using the word to invite real change, and it starts with us getting honest about the state of our hearts. Friends, with the condition that our world is at, isn't this worth considering. Isn't it worth examining? Because where there is division, where there is hostility, the gospel is meant to destroy these barriers. The gospel is meant to be about bringing together a very, very, very different group of people. But he gives them the capacity and the resource not just to share the same space as citizens, not just to share the same household-like family, but to actually be built together, dependent on one another to be the very place, the very house where the glory of God dwells for the good of the world, and for the glory of God. Amen.